This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. We're going to talk about marriage for the long haul, finding God's grace and changing seasons. I almost changed this this morning as I was going, going over it. We have another thing that we do that some of the guys heard at the Worship God conference. I thought, maybe that's better. But then I thought, no, this is the right one. It's, it's, um, it's addressed to marriages, whatever season you're in, for multiple seasons. And besides, you already had the outline for the other one, so... <laughs> um, I want to begin so, with, with our story. Some of you have heard this, and for those of you who haven't, it will make, it will make Julie's, your esteem of Julie skyrocket, and your thoughts about me plummet. <laughs> Wherever they were, they're going to plummet after you hear this. Um, but, but I want to share this because we've been married, uh, we were married 46 years in August, and um, we are very, very, very happily married. And um, we have done a lot of things wrong, but we've seen God's faithfulness and his grace in every season. And that's, a, that's what we're going to talk about. But let me start with my uh, story, and let me pray before we do that. Father, we thank you that you've brought us here to, to meet with us, to reveal again by your Spirit how good you are, and how there is, there is no truth outside your word. Uh, and we love that. We don't have to wonder if uh, someone has better answers or there's a better way of living. You have, you have shown us in your word. And you've shown us above all that Jesus is the only one who's ever obeyed your word. And we, we get to benefit from his obedience and his righteousness and the payment he made for our sins. And so we are forgiven, and you are changing us. So we thank you that wherever we are in our marriage, whether we're enjoying a season of prosperity and fruitfulness and joy, <clears throat> whether it just we're, we're in that season of uncertainties and difficulties and inconsistencies and paradoxes and challenges, um, you, you are here to meet us. So we thank you. We pray that you do that now as we, as we talk about these things and... Uh, May you receive all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Julie and I met in high school, February of 1972. I was the senior class president and the choir accompanist. Julie was a member of the choir and a very quiet student. She was also a state champion pony rider and finished high school in three years so she could pursue involvement in the horse world. So that's how she ended up in my class. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this third year my final year. So in February 1972, I gave Julie a homemade Valentine's Day card, along with 16 other girls. And, <laughs> and this is all true. I'm not exaggerating any of this. You will think that's an exaggeration. It was not an exaggeration. But thank you for its fact-checking. Um, and Julie was the only girl who responded <laughs> with a double-sided note. <laughs> But I wasn't expecting her or wanting her to respond. My card was more like a pity card. It was more like saying, you are going to be so excited to get a card from me. You're welcome. That, that was my heart behind the card. So for the next few months, Julie pursued me. Well, I tried to communicate that I was happy to be her friend, but not her boyfriend. I even wrote her a song to tell her that. <laughs> 
You go the way you, you go the way you want to go, and I'll meet you there tomorrow. You go the way you want to go, and I'll meet you there for sure. Maybe another day might be the day that we could get together, but maybe it's late and I have to go. That was the chorus. But she persisted in pursuing me, unbelievably. And in July of that year, we had our first kiss, and I, we started dating. Um, in that fall, I moved to Temple University, Philadelphia, and Julie moved to work on a, a show horse farm. Um, but for the next year, she, she also, um, I mean, during that time, we, we visited and hung out and stuff. But that following fall, she got accepted to Temple. She had no plans to go to college, but she thought, well, let me just see what will happen. So she ended up at Temple. And when she arrived, I began to rethink our relationship, because now, okay, this is serious. And after Thanksgiving, I, uh, on Thanksgiving, um, we, were, we were back home in Virginia, and we went to, I took her out to see the movie The Way We Were with uh, Barbara Streisand, Robert Redford, and that night I broke up with her. I told her that I don't want to date you anymore. I thought it was just a perfect segue the way we were, talking about couples, is in love, and then he breaks up with her. I thought, here you go. For two years after that, Julie thought she would marry me. And I was sure she wouldn't. I, I wrote her another song telling her <laughs> that I was her friend, but not her boyfriend. Uh, the, the one at the bridge was, uh, uh, love will never make you sad. But that's just what it's done. It brought you to a field of grass and wouldn't let you run. You gave me everything you had, which only made you poor. And as you begged to stay with me, I showed you to the door. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> even I'm amazed at this stuff. Finally, <laughs> a mutual friend, college friend, Robin, asked her out on a date, and she told him that she loved me and didn't want to pursue another relationship. And he told her that I had said I would never marry her. <laughs> well, she felt that left God entirely out of the picture. And we've both been Christians for about three years now. So she marched over, after talking to Robin, she marched over to my piano practice room, which is where I usually was, till 11 o'clock at night. And she said, Robin said that you told him that you would never marry me. Is that true? And I said, yes. And she shot back, why? And I said, because you're fat. And she, that's fact. And she said, that stinks. And marched out of the practice room, slamming the door behind her. Now, I remember going after her. But Julie doesn't remember that. <laughs> Funny how our memories kind of shift to make ourselves look better. Um, God used that little interaction to show me a few things about my heart, which I had been blind to. One, I had an idolatrous picture of who I should marry. I thought it should be this, this kind of person, and Julie wasn't that person, so it couldn't be Julie. Two, I thought I deserved a 10 when I was about a 3. <laughs> And if you've never read uh, Scott Croft's article, Brother, You're a Six, you should read that. <laughs> if, just Google it, Brother, You're Like a Six. It's, it's really good. Uh, number three, Julie 
like no one else in my life, had showed me a relentless love in the face of my constant rejection. No one had done that. No one had loved me like that. Not even my mother. No one had loved me like that. And then four, when I was doing well with the Lord, I was drawn to Julie. It was when I was pursuing my selfish pursuits, selfish desires, that I thought, ah, I I don't need her. But when I was doing well with the Lord, it just seemed obvious. Of course she's the one you should marry. (laughs) So a couple months later, just a couple months later after that interaction, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. But this is how I asked her. <laughs> We're standing in front of her house, in front of the barn. She always corrects me. In front of her barn, in between the house and the barn. And uh, she had just... <laughs> See how we think about it? In front of the house, in front of the barn. Uh, she had just had her tonsils out, and so she was kind of in recovery. And I said, hey, what would you say if I asked you to marry me? And she said, are you asking me? I said, well, just what would you say? And she said, well, I'd say yes. I said, okay. That was the proposal. (laughs) You guys are just feeling so good about yourselves now. (laughs) This past August, I said, we celebrated 46 years together. And we've been in ministry for all but one of those years. We have six kids uh, in February. Next month, we'll have number 22 grandkids. And as you can imagine, life is full. It's chaotic. It's full of surprises. We've sinned. We've made mistakes. We've lost our way. We've struggled. We've failed. This past year, Julie had a recurrence of breast cancer and went through chemo and radiation. And by God's grace, she's in remission, and we're taking one day at a time. Praise the Lord. Amen. And through it all, God has taught us. He's shepherded us. He's cared for us through the example and counsel of others and shown us that as we were saying and singing about before, God's steadfast love and faithfulness never fail. And by God's grace, we are madly in love with each other. I thought about this earlier. I said, this isn't like something we come and do, you know, and like back in the, back in the hotel room, it's just like, ah, 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 ah. we really love each other. You can check in with us anytime, and, uh, unless we're in the midst of a conflict. We will, you will see... <laughs> which we don't have that many of, praise the Lord. Um, we, we, are, we are deeply in love, and we are aware that our blessings have far exceeded our trials. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So we want to talk about marriage for the long haul, finding God's grace in changing seasons. And I told you the story at the beginning to, to assure you that a great marriage doesn't become, come because like the people in it are so great. I was a real case when we got married. Uh, self-centered, proud, arrogant. I mean, I definitely thought Julie was getting the better deal when we got married. For years, I thought that. And uh, praise God, he's changed my heart. It's, it's so good to be on the other side of that and say, wow, that was deception. That was foolishness. That was delusion. And that was harmful. And that was painful, uh, but, but God is merciful and he's kind. So what we've done is broken um, our, our 46 years down into three seasons, one to seven, the early years, and then uh, eight to 25, the middle years, and then after that, the later years. So, uh, of course, there's a lot of overlap and 
you know, the commands and promises of Scripture don't change regardless of what season we're in, and our greatest needs are always God's Word, the Gospel, God's Spirit in the context of the local church. So what, what's a priority in one season won't be absent from other seasons. But we found it helpful just to talk through these, and this is what we did, to say, okay, what was most important then? And so we've picked two priorities in each season that we want to talk about. Um, yeah, so the first would be in the early years. We pick trust and humility. So how many of you have been married less than seven years? Anybody? Oh, okay, great. Wow, fabulous. You all sit on this side of the room. Is this the oversight? Okay, great. Great. Um, okay, so trust, trust. Our early years of marriage are, are filled with so much uncertainty. <laughs> we have no idea what this is going to be. And we've seen, you know, marriages start well and end badly. The year we got married... Both our parents got divorced and our pastor got divorced. So talk about uncertainty. Talk about, whoa, I thought, you know, for our parents, they weren't Christians, but our pastor, six kids, left his wife for a secretary. He was well known in the charismatic world. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the power of indwelling sin. Uh, it's a deception. How will things work out? Do I really know them as well as I think I do? These are the questions we're asking. Do, I, do, I, do they know me as well? Did I make the right decision? What, you know, what's to say our, our marriage is going to last? How, how do we know? Maybe you've asked one or more of those questions. Foundation of trust in a marriage can't be overrated. And that, that goes in two ways. The first is vertical, trusting God. If, if you're going to build something in your relationship with God, build that trust. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. We had to learn to trust that God put us together, which is no small task. There were a lot of things saying, yeah, this is kind of, you know, it, felt, it came because of Julie's persistence. No, God put us together. And you can might point to all these reasons where you think, well, this is why we're together. No, God put you together. We have to trust that God is sovereign and that God will enable us to meet any obstacle. And the divorce isn't an option. It's not something that we'll seriously consider. We had a conversation about this on the way down, just revisiting that conversation where in our early years, Julie was saying, I just don't know how you could ever rule out divorce. And, and I was saying... Well, of course we can. And I'm sure I was saying it in an arrogant, proud way. We would never do that. You know. And it wasn't probably the most helpful conversation. <coughs> but the reality is, we do have to come to a place where we're saying, God is going to keep us. As we look to the Lord, God is going to keep us. We had to trust that as Psalm 139 says, in his book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for us, when as yet there were none of them. That's the God we serve and worship. And trust grows through believing God's promises. So while there's a lot of emphasis in the early years on this is what you need to do, this is the husband you need to be, the wife you need to be, what we really need to, as a foundation for all that is the God who holds it all together. His promises. Of course, we have to know those promises, which means we have to read his word. We have to spend time in his word, meditate on his goodness, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his love, his power, his authority, his mercy, his compassion, 
his kindness. So I, I gave you a few. Psalm 42, 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That verse has been a particular help to us in the last 10, 12 years as our lives have gone through some evil. But what a wonderful promise. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's not going to forget that he brought you together. He brought you together for his purposes. He'll complete the work. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, you keep, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure, I am sure, don't you love the way that Paul makes this, the way these verses begin, I know, I am sure, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh my God, what about this thing? This coming? What about, what if, what if this happens? Nothing. Nothing. And I love that, the comprehensiveness of, of those verses. It's like, you can't think of anything outside of what's written here. Isaiah 26, and 3 and 4 you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So that's something we want to we build, we want to work on, we want to focus on trusting in the Lord. That's the vertical trust. But there's a horizontal trust as well. We're learning to trust each other. It's always interesting to... to, to as we counsel couples, you know, pre-marriage or early on in their marriage, just, you know, they're, they're just so upset that, like, they can't get this working and, you know, there's just problems and it's just always something. You're learning to trust each other. Like, it's going to take time. Some couples, you know, some couples start out trusting each other deeply, but that's, that's not the norm. For most marriages, trust is something you build. You're getting to know each other. You're getting to know yourself. You're learning how you think. You're learning what your sin patterns are, how we respond in crisis, what our root convictions are. Like that, it just takes time. But that's a great time to realize, oh, I want to both learn to trust you and I want to be someone who's trustworthy. And that comes through humble, open communication talking about the things that you fear saying and, and examining them before the Lord, just asking each other questions. Now, guys can be tempted to think that we're worthy of trust before we really are. You know, I'm the man, I'm the leader, I'm the husband. We read in the Bible, women are supposed to respect their husbands, wives are to submit to their husbands. We can think automatically that means we are supposed to be respected and we, our wives are supposed to submit to us just because we're the husband and they should trust us. And that can turn into a demand of trust. Trust can never be demanded. And when a husband says, just trust me, that's just an unhelpful thing to say. The wife wants to say, you give me reasons to trust you and I will trust you. But given your past performance... It just is not looking good right now <laughs> for, for you to say, trust me. That's not like the, the deal closer, you know, the conversation finisher. Just trust me. You know, when my wife doesn't trust me, 
the Lord's saying something to me. <laughs> like it may be something he wants to do in her, but most likely it's something he wants to do in me. Why is she not trusting me? Maybe I haven't explained what I'm thinking well. Maybe I haven't changed any from my past performance. And maybe she's thinking about all that. You know, in my, guys, we like to think, well, I've made a commitment in my mind. I'm going to be different now. I'm different. So you can trust me. <laughs> we are always sowing seeds, sowing fruit from seeds sown in the past. So if you've been untrustworthy, you know, for the first couple of years, don't think like all of a sudden, yeah, I'm trustworthy. No, it, it's something that we we earn. And in our early years, we're either building trust or we're tearing it down. We want to give our wives, our wife confidence, not our wives, our wife confidence to believe in us rather than her thinking that's a foolish thing to do. So I, I just remember in my early years and, and later years as well, wanting to impress Julie with having it together. You know, be, knowing this, knowing how to get places, knowing how to do whatever, how to do household projects. You know, we couldn't do a household project without it turning into a conflict. Because I would want her to know, you can trust me in this. I know, and I'm here to help you. God brought me into your life so you could be helped. And it was just, I was just deluded. So for a guy, the priority is to work at becoming a man of your word. A man of integrity, a man, in other words, who can be trusted. And a lot of marriages get off to a faulty foundation because the guy just assumes, I should be trusted, and she's not trusting me. And it just breaks down further from there. Julie, do you have anything to share about how hard it was to trust me? <laughs> you don't have to go too long. <laughs> um, I can't overemphasize the beginning part that he talked about, about I've, I've been so blessed with being taught the sovereignty of God mm. and who he is and what I need to run to. Um, but when he was just talking, I was thinking how we as wives can be prone to judge our husbands. Um, and because we're not trusting the Lord, we can tend to think that, you know, we're just out there in the stratosphere somewhere and hopefully this is going to work out. And rather than having the confidence to be able to, you know, I can have a conversation about this. Like he says, we're going to do this thing. And I'm kind of like not sure about it. Trusting the Lord is being able to talk through that and not being fearful of what the ultimate answer is going to be. But asking the question and saying, you know what, so how did, you know, I know that you love the Lord. I know that you're praying about this, but can you help me understand, like, how you thought through this? Because I want to be able to trust you, and I want to get behind this with everything in me. Um, but just, yeah, just yeah, that not judging right away, like, and reacting in fear or panic. Remember, I think it's um, Spurgeon, maybe, or Martin Lloyd-Jones. It has an article, uh, Faith is a... A refusal to panic. <laughs> I think as women, we can panic at those moments like, yeah, we're going to move to Chattanooga, you know. <laughs> and, and rather than talking about it, we freak out, you know, and stuff. So, But all that's based on our trust of the Lord. 
and what he's doing and that he's in this. And it's not a blind trust that, oh, whatever he says, I'll just yeah. follow. It's a, a, a confidence in being able to talk about those things. And I, mean, I just, you know, when you tell our story, I just think, man, we were so immature. I mean, we were 21 when we got married. We were Christians for not very long. Not very long. We had no teaching, um, no pre-marriage stuff. I think we had two sessions with some Baptist guy who talked to us about birth control. And, and it was just like, yeah, and both our parents were divorced. I mean, yeah, we, we were first-generation Christians in our families. And just like the Lord has been so faithful and so good to bring people into our lives at just the right moment to teach us things and to grow us. So just trust him because he is so trustworthy. Yeah, so yeah. that's all. Yes, that's really good. Amen. Um, I just think of the passage in First Peter 3, verse 5, where Peter's addressing wives. He said, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. Their hope isn't in their husbands. Their hope is in God. That's what gave them confidence to submit to their husbands. So as, as you think about your husband, put trusting him, put your trust in God. That's what will enable you to trust him or to grow in trust for him. But there's another aspect that will help us grow in trust, and that's the second priority for the early years, and that's humility. Right, is it ever not a time when humility is not a priority? No, but it's especially helpful in the early years. Humility is what enables trust to grow. And, you know, depending on how long you've been a single, um, most people spend a good amount of time with themselves and haven't had anyone really to challenge their thinking. You know, even in a strong church community, you can still kind of develop your own thoughts about, this is how I want to live my life, this is, this is how I'm going to do it. And more than anything, what we need as a newly married couple is, is grace to hear from other people, especially the one who you're living with and to receive uh, their counsel, their direction, their guidance, their rebuke, their encouragement. And God tells us how to do that, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. He says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's not news for anybody. No one's shocked that I just said that. Oh, you need, you need to be humble? That's, that's new. But what I want to do is give you some concrete ways of showing that you are pursuing humility. The first would be seeking input. Seeking input. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whenever you get, get insight. As you read through Proverbs, especially the early chapters, it's always about go after this, get it, ask for it, look for it, search for it. It's not just sit around and just kind of wait for it to come to you. I mean, there's that too. You'll get it. You'll get input. But, but the emphasis is on go get it, ask for it. In Proverbs 28, 26, one of my favorite Proverbs, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but whoever walks in wisdom, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. We can't trust in our own mind. So, so what, what do we do? Well, we ask for input. We involve our spouse in decisions and plans. It could be significant things like whether or not to take a job or when to buy a house or when to have children. Those are significant things that you can't just like 
come to independent conclusions on and then argue about. You, you want to be asking each other, what do you think? What do you think? But it could be much smaller things, like how to get somewhere. I couldn't count the number of times we've argued about how to get somewhere. No, this way. No, this way. No, this way. Well, the difference is like 15 seconds. No, my way's better. I've timed it. I've, I've gone this path many times. Actually, I don't even need to have gone the path many times. I just know. <laughs> how to clean a room. The right way to paint. <laughs> how and where to store things. I mean, all these are real-life examples. So that seek input, another way to grow in humility, pursue, is by receiving input. Sometimes you don't ask for it. It just comes. <laughs> it's a little gift wrapped up in a little package that God says, here, here's a little gift for you. A fool, Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. You know, when that input comes, you don't want to hear any more about it. You just want to tell the person, tell your spouse why it's not right. The Bible doesn't say anything about the way counsel is offered. It just says, don't be a fool, receive it. And it's a real gift. Third way to pursue humility, thinking more highly of your spouse than yourself. Just assume that you got the better deal. It's a great way to start off your marriage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, Philippians 2.3, especially your spouse. Count them as more significant. Now, I would say this especially falls upon the husband to do that because we're so prone to think. Many, many men are so prone to think, yeah, of course. We, you know, she, she got a great deal. She got me. Uh, that would involve things like being willing to ask forgiveness first. You, know, you can start to keep score on that. Who, who's, who, why am I always the one asking forgiveness first? Well, maybe because you're always sinning. I mean, have you thought about that as a possible answer? <laughs> Looking to your own heart before your spouse's. No, we're, learning, we're learning to be humble before God, humble before our spouse, and evaluate ourselves before we're, we go on the attack. And to develop, to cultivate those qualities, that, that way of relating your earlier years will serve you for the rest of your life. Assuming that your perspective might be wrong. These are all different ways of saying the same thing. You know, when you get into conflict, conflicts, you know, they're not resolved by, you know, better communication, unless by better communication you mean being more humble. You know, that... I mean, there are better ways of saying things than others, but most often the problem isn't that you're just not saying the right words because you can say the right words with the wrong heart. You can say the right words with the perspective, I'm saying the right words. You have to respond to me. You won't say it that way, but that's what you're thinking. No, we want to be humble from the heart. Uh, Julie, do you have anything to share on humility? Uh, just being, as a wife, just... Uh, that one knowing your husband and knowing the best time to bring uh. input um, you know Sunday after he's preached probably isn't the best time <laughs> um, 
you know, when you're tired, when it's 11 o'clock at night, you know, just being smart about when you bring things up. Um, and then the other thing I would say is I think sometimes we can we can offer our opinion like a brick, you know. <laughs> we, like, give it to them and they have to, like, do something with it rather than I remember somebody saying, you know, we want to... We want to give our input as a feather, you know, that they can consider it. It's not like make or break our marriage at that moment, but just being being willing to offer things humbly mm. um, and not, I know this is true. You've got to change. You've got to see this. We can't insist on humility with our husbands. Yeah. Um, we can insist on humility with ourselves. That's <laughs> it's true. That's true. Okay. All right, so uh, trust and humility, the early years. Now, again, what we're going into now will apply to the early years as well, but we thought those would be two of the most important things. Let's talk about the middle years. Two qualities, we, two priorities we've chosen are pursuit and perseverance. And their excellent book, Love That Lasts, Gary and Betsy Ricucci uh, have written, or Betsy wrote, we all know that the familiarity and daily routine of marriage can gradually transform passionate devotion into something more like comfortable toleration. And the middle years hold great potential for comfortable toleration as a married couple. Or uncomfortable bitterness. That's another thing they can morph into. These are the years, and that's how we're thinking of, of growing obligations, growing families, Growing commitments, full schedules, less free time, a sense of repetitiveness can settle in, mundaneness, just getting through the day. And we talk to, you know, our kids, all our kids, uh, our oldest grandkids, 21. And, you know, so our, our kids are raising kids. And there's a lot of activity. We talk about their lives now, it's just, it just makes you tired. But we think that's what we used to do. You know, with six kids, it's like, man, there are seasons where you just don't know which end is up, and it's just like, just get me through the day, just get me through the day. And that's what these years are. That's, that's what we're, we're going after. Our hearts are being shaped during these years. We have to recognize our hearts are being shaped either towards the Lord and His purposes or to ourselves and our purposes. Something's happening during these years. It's not just we're getting things done. Our hearts are being shaped. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Another way of saying that is just love the right things. And in the middle years, it is so important that we love the right things. Because we're loving something. So just... Use the word pursue. What we love, we pursue. And, and there are obvious things that, that we need to be conscious of pursuing during these years. The first would be our relationship with Christ. It's, it's, it doesn't, it'll look different for sure. If you're a mom with you know, four kids under five, it's going to look different. You're not going to have the like, hour and a half devotions that you used to have when you were single or just you know, with no kids, it's, it's going to be very different. But your relationship with Christ has not gone to the, it's not put on the back shelf. It's still there. He's still with us. He's still involved. And we need to pursue that relationship. Our relationship with our spouse, with our own flesh. 
you know, um, when, when <laughs> people talk about the empty nester years, I mean, Julie and I will never be empty nesters. Um, we've never had someone not living with us. Um, it's, and, but, but we've, you know, those few nights, those few days that we've had on our own, we're, it's exciting. It's not, we're not like, oh man, it's just us. No, that's great. We love that. That's because we pursued each other during the middle years. We didn't come, you know, you hear so many stories of couples who come to the end of their child raising years and look at each other and go, who are you? They didn't pursue each other during those years. So you pursue each other. You pursue your relationship with your kids. You know, you only have them for, for a certain amount of time. Well, we found that's not to be true, actually. <laughs> we still have our kids. Um, yeah, but you pursue your relationship with them. In other words, business, career, hobbies, uh, whatever else we might pursue. They're secondary, secondary. They're, they may be important, but they're secondary to our relationship with our kids. And we pursue our relationship with the church, which is another hallmark uh, of this church, which is just, I hope you appreciate the, the rarity of uh, a large group of people who just love their church and love each other, love the people in the church. They don't just love you know, the leaders or the, the musicians. They love the church. They love the people. And, and that's what we should be pursuing. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill down, though, and, and talk about two specific areas that husbands should be pursuing, in, in addition to all those. Um, uh, and then, Julie, be thinking just for wives. They, you, I mean, you went through those all those years. And, um, yeah. So first, pursue growing understanding as a husband. First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I go back to that verse again and again for my own life and in counseling when things don't seem to be going well. Why? Because the majority of our conflicts or a couple's conflicts have to do with a husband not exerting very much energy into trying to understand what their wife is really feeling and thinking. They're, they're rather trying to express their own opinion, and they're not living with their wife in an understanding way. So what does that mean, living with your wife in an understanding way? It means in, it involves asking questions like, what has your day been like? Like, I would come home from the office and just be filled with thoughts about what I'd done. Give very little thought to what Julia had done. What is she challenged by in my schedule? What does she dream about? Does she have any dreams? Anything, any desires that are in there that, you know, one day I'd like to... What's she struggling with spiritually, relationally? And these involve questions. What's her capacity? How much she can, really, can she really handle? <coughs> we assume the wife does this. She's, the mom does this. She's doing it. Great, thanks. Great. You're doing your job. Fantastic. You know, but there are things going on in her heart that may be not so well, not, not doing so well. Do we know that? What brings her rest? What brings joy to her life? What makes her sad? 
We need to pursue understanding rather than just making rules. My tendency would be to make rules. Well, this is how we're going to do things. And, you know, for me, rules solved everything. You know, with the kids, things were in chaos, more rules. And then I realized at different times, I couldn't even remember the rules that I had made. I think you disobeyed something. Did I make that? (laughs) Rules do not solve the problems. They can be helpful. When we were first married, I remember when we were first married, I would come home from the office and uh, check to see if Julie's Bible had moved. No, this is the very early years. Because I wanted to make sure she had her devotions. I wasn't concerned about her day, about what had happened. I just, there was one thing. Later on, it was, when we had kids, it was, I would just look for the things that were out of place. Because we had established that before I came home, there would be house cleaning time so that when the king came home, when I came home, uh, the house would be in perfect order. And I would always see, like, the Lego under the couch, you know, the little people, person, place, you know, the, the cup left out. And that would be the thing that my eye would go to for years. It was, ugh. <laughs> I had no concern about what her day had been like. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to understand what she was experiencing while, while I was away. I'd invite people over sometimes. This would happen frequently, I think, and show up like 10 minutes after they came, assuming that she would be able to handle everything. Of course, she's Julie. She just does amazing stuff. Uh, not thinking, you know, asking, hey, is that a problem for you? Is that hard for you? And she does have a huge capacity. But yeah, I found out that she actually would prefer me coming home sometimes, setting up chairs, you know, doing things that would help her actually prepare for the people that I invited over. Now, let, don't get the wrong impression. Julie often invites the people over. She is, has a gift of hospitality that is immense. Um, but, but highlighting my lack in just not living with her in an understanding way. There was a time in our marriage during these years when I wouldn't hear what she was saying until she broke down in tears. We would be talking, like, ha- like talking for 45 minutes. And I'd be like, and then she would just, and then I'd realize, okay, something's wrong. <laughs> something's not going right here. That, I mean, that's what it took to, for me to like, get off my, um, of course I'm right, she just needs to understand me, to maybe I need to understand her. Maybe there's something going on inside her that, that I could have been asking questions about rather than trying to prove the rightness of my answer. Oh, I hope this spares some of you those years. I really do. Uh, ask your wife, this is what I encourage you as a husband to do, ask your wife sometime the next week, in an unheard woman moment, you could do it on this retreat. What's one aspect of your life that you don't think I understand very well? And she might say, you know what? I think you understand me really well. That's great. Praise the Lord. Rejoice in that. But maybe not. Maybe she'll say, well, I don't think you get this about me. And you you could be married for a long time and keep finding things out. So it's a good question to ask. What one aspect of your life do you think I don't understand very well? So that's the first area of pursuit. Second would be pursue growing affection. <laughs> Ephesians 5.29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Don't believe that the fires of passion have to die down. Or that the thrill of being married to the same person 
over decades has to fade. It can increase. Christ's love for the church never wavers, never diminishes, never loses its zeal, never changes, it never dies out. It's ever fervent, ever passionate, ever zealous, and so should our love be for our wives. And what hearing that can sometimes do is make us realize, wow, I'm not there. And that's okay. Because God can do wonderful things in the heart of someone who is willing to be shaped into the image of Jesus. And knowing our past, you can see what a miracle it is that I love my wife so much. That's a work of God, and I rejoice in it. Our culture tells us that love is something we have to fall in and out of. Hold on. I'm sure that was an important call. I'm just going to shut this off. That it's largely dependent on how we feel about a person and whether or not they're lovable. You know, God tells us, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And we ought to lay down our life for our spouse, 1 John 3.16. For some reason, Julie had a hard time believing that I really loved her after we got married. <laughs> Couldn't comprehend that. It was 20 years before God did a substantial work in her heart to enable her to believe that I really did love her. Now, we had a, we had a good marriage. We had a great marriage. We loved each other. And, but there was just always a doubt, always a doubt. And it took a lot of years of me acting differently for her to finally come to the place. And a marriage retreat where that, the Lord did that, where uh, she began to say, you know what, I just have, I don't trust God. I don't trust Bob. <coughs> but uh, I've been seeking to grow in that. And I encourage you to grow in showing affection to your wife. So I'm going to share some practices which are just practices. You pick your own practices. Do your own. Uh, some, of, some people have come back to me and say, yeah, I've tried that. My wife doesn't like it. Okay, great. Well, you're married to your wife. You're not married to my wife. Um, but these are some things that we have found to be extremely helpful. And you might as well. Date nights. Don't underestimate them. It's never easy. But regular date nights make, make, it, uh, make your communication and the fact that you are wanting to set aside time for your spouse regularly that, that things don't get in the way of. It just communicates something. Whether or not the date night is like an amazing time. I'm not an amazing date night planner. I usually get in the car and say, well, where do you want to go? You know, that, that's because I, I want to go where she wants to go. Sometimes I'll plan something, but not real often. And oftentimes we'll just want to do the same thing. But we're together. And we've been doing that since the late 80s, every Monday night. And it's something that I look back on and go, man, that has, so, that has borne so much good fruit. It might be every other week for you. When you, have, when you have kids, you have a babysitter, it's harder. It's a lot harder. But you can be creative. You can find some way to spend individual time with your spouse regularly that says to them, I value you, and I want to be with you. It's not, you know, when someone says, uh, you know, um, when you're, like when you were with your spouse, like it's, you, I'm trying to think of a, a situation. So, like driving here, you know, it's a five-hour drive. Oh, five-hour drive. I get to be with Julie. We're together for five hours. She's my favorite person in the world. 
Like, how is that a bad thing? Or, you know, we had to wait so long at the airport. You're with your spouse. It's a great thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a hassle, but you're with your spouse. It's a great thing. So that has nothing to do with date nights, but um, <laughs> kissing is another one. Before I leave the house, I kiss her, even if she's sleeping. Uh, when I come back to the house, she's the first person I'm going to find and kiss. And there are often many people in our house. Sometimes I greet the dog, but only because he comes to me. It's not our dog, but it's our daughter's dog. Uh, not the kissing. I don't kiss the dog. I just greet the dog. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. When I'm in her presence, I want to know, I want her to know it's special. Like when she's, and this is such a change. This is such a change. I'll share about that later. Um, yeah, so we don't want to waste our kisses. Frenching is preferable to pecking. Um, we've just found that to be true in our own lives. Um, touching, when we're together, uh, I want to be touching her. Let me go back to that just for a second. Kisses are a gift. They're a gift. And uh, they don't have to get old. And I think uh, couples can just think, well, this is just not exciting anymore. It is exciting. It, this, this, this person you love, you get to share this intimate, these intimate moments with no other person on earth. And God gave you that as a gift. Take advantage of it. Enjoy it. All right. Touching. When we're together, I want to be touching her. When I pass by her, I try to touch her. She touches me. And we just pass by each other in the kitchen. kitchen we'll just touch each other in places. Uh, when we're in bed... I want to touch her, and it doesn't get old. It doesn't get old. Now, this is one of those situations where a guy came to me and said, you know, I, I tried touching my wife. She, she doesn't like it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> Don't touch her. You know, <laughs> not that much. I mean, and it may be, and I think this was the case, it, it may be that, uh, you know, we can touch our wives as a prelude to something else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm touching you because I'm thinking this will lead somewhere. Don't make that the, the foundation if you're touching. It's just you get to touch her. You know, it's like, it's like anything precious. You know, you don't have to do anything with it. You just hold it, and it's precious. That's what your spouse is like. It's just you get to, you get to hold them. You get to touch them. Pictures, picture of Julie on my phone, on my computer. I, I, just, I just love seeing her. Conversations, you know, uh, we'll sometimes FaceTime in the middle. Of the, well, well, often FaceTime said text because I just want to see her. I could text, and we do text, but I just, I just want to see her, and uh, you know, it just reminds me. I, I can't believe I get to be married to you, and it's just still amazing. So, those are some things that we've done that that have have made me see no. This is the one that you're to pour your affection into for the rest of your life. And as long as God gives me strength and breath, that's what I'm going to be doing. And it's, it's a, it's, there's so many benefits to it, um, but I won't go into this. Affection doesn't always have to look romantic. When Julie asked me to do something, I try to do it right away because I know if I don't, I will forget it. Just the other day, she asked me to do something. I said, she said, you don't have to do it right now. I said, no, if I don't do it right now, I will forget it. So can you take this into the office? Yeah, let me go put it in my car. And I have to put it on the front seat. If I put it in the back, I'll forget it. I mean, I just, I just 
yeah, one track mind, just. Um, and it's doing it joyfully. It's not, oh, I gotta do something. Look for ways to make her life easier. You know, I don't know how many years ago I started opening the car door for her, and, and I used to think that was so weird, so odd, and again, don't, you don't have to do this. It doesn't show you're a godly husband. But it's one way for me to say, you know what? I just want to make your life easier in whatever way I can, and I'm just going to be conscious of that every time we get in a car. And it's, it's changed. You know, it, it just shapes you. It just, so look for things that shape you, that shape you towards your spouse. Um, I'll try to fill up the gas tank if she doesn't, so she doesn't have to, especially uh, the gas tank for the mower, which is five gallons, and she can, can't even lift it. So I'll try to fill up the lawnmower gas tank. Those kinds of things where I just, I want to be thinking of her. That's ways of showing affection. Julie, do you have any thoughts about pursuing things during these years, things to pursue? I didn't. Do you want to hold on affection? Okay. Well, I think um, as a mom, we can have a tendency to become so focused on our kids um, and assume our husbands. Um, and that's just something we have to guard against. Like, am I, am I waiting for my husband to come home? Or am I, you know, mm. thank God he's here. Here, take these kids. You know, um, is, that, is that his purpose? Or am I truly excited to see him and haven't, like, created my world around my children and what's going on in my little life? Um, I think I, so our, both our parents were the ones that showed, well, my parents showed no affection. Um, they, you know, as soon as I was in college, they were divorced. You know, it was just like they were basically staying together. And I guess that's a pretty common stayed together because of the kids. Um, I just... I'm amazed that all these little practices, kissing and touching and all that, that seem like not that important, like that has grown our relationship. And <coughs> I feel so close to Bob. And I know that, you know, if ever our house is empty, <laughs> um, that, that, I can't wait for that. You know, I love to be with him. And I just feel like all that stuff that we've sown to, we're reaping now. Um, and, you know, and it was, a, for a woman, I feel like our most important, like, sexual organ is our minds. Like, we've got to be thinking and engaging our thoughts. Because otherwise, details just grab us. Um, mm. So, you know, I... I'm always like, wow, he's touching me. Like there was a time when I would longed for that, you know, and, and I want to cultivate that and respond to that um, rather than just like, eh, big deal. Can you leave me alone? Uh, you know, I got work to do, you know, but just that like, oh, there was a time when this couldn't happen. And look, it happens now. And this is amazing that God's given me this gift of this man to love me and care for me and watch over me. So... I think those are the biggest okay. things. Okay. And just so you know, uh, what, what's our time frame here? <laughs> got, uh, three minutes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to finish this in three minutes. 
Um, all right. Well, the other sections are not as long. So uh, how would you want to do this? Let me finish Perseverance. Yeah. All right. And then later years, we'll just trust those guys are doing okay. <laughs> the older years, we'll just trust those guys are doing okay. We can share some of that in the Q&A. How about that? Let's do it. I'll do that. Let's finish with Perseverance. Uh, so the middle years. So pursuit, you're going after something, and then perseverance. Uh, during the days of full schedules, growing family, growing commitments, it just sometimes it seems like nothing's getting done. Like we're, we're, we're maintaining, like we're not accomplishing anything. And, and you can start to think, well, there must be better opportunities. <laughs> there must be better, better things that I could be doing, better uh, things that wouldn't make me feel so you know, dragged out uh, all the time. I'm not living up to my full potential. I'm just, I'm just doing whatever. You know, we get married with the dream of being together, and we realize we're not together most of the time. Life happens. You long for something more adventurous, more amazing, more out of the box, more flashy, more exciting, more something. But as, as a couple who is raising kids for God's glory. This is what you're doing. As a husband and wife, you're displaying to a world what faithful love looks like in a world of faithlessness. That's one thing you're doing. Wives are displaying what joyful, faith-filled submission and respect look like in a world that thinks that independence is the ultimate virtue. And that means freedom from any authority. You're showing them that. Husbands are showing our culture what kind, strong, clear, godly, loving leadership looks like. Just, we're just showing them. Parents are showing your children that they are valued and loved and cared for and protected, and they are demonstrating the heart of God to them. You're standing strong against the tidal wave of gender confusion so present in our culture, raising girls and boys who delight in God's plan. You're part of the church, valuing the gathering of the church every week, being built up into the body of Christ as a testimony of what God's doing in the earth. So we persevere. So we keep at it. And here's what God says to us. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then Hebrews 10 just says, We have need of endurance. Romans 15, Through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we have hope. Not a lot of fireworks going on, not a lot of applause, may feel like you're accomplishing very little. And the culture can feel very alluring and tempting, especially through social media, which I would encourage you to contain. They're saying this is what success looks like. Money, job, big house, big car, vacation home. No, these are the years to walk faithfully. Just to be faithful to what God has called us to be. We're looking forward to the Lord looking us in the eyes and saying, by God's grace and the work of Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. And that won't be because of our faithfulness, but because of his. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's what keeps us going. He's faithful. Julia, thoughts on perseverance? Oh, you don't? Perfect.
Okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm hoping this is helpful, and we have uh, something else that we'll share later. You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.